Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Valley Baptist Church. If you have your Bibles, please open them up to Luke chapter 8. Uh, we're continuing our way through the Gospel of Luke. And as you're turning to Luke chapter 8, uh, we're going to be in verses 22 through 39. If um, just by way of announcement, we have the baptism coming up. And so if you're planning on being baptized, please um, sign up on the foyer. There's a little list there. And if you're planning on coming to the new members class, it's so that I can get kind of materials together and make plans. Um, we have officially reserved the pool and they've redone the, the little park above the pool. So we have that and it's going to be a great time. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, I, see, I can't remember if I was playing against Eddie and Dan or with them. But there's the mean horseshoe pit, and I'm looking forward to a rematch on one of you guys. <laughs> and the other one, I'm, you're with me. So let's, one of them is my teammate, and one of them was against me. I forget who, but, but uh, we were against each other. So, yeah, yeah. So you're going down again. We're, we, <laughs> but it was a great time. There's a bunch of horseshoe pits. It's a big park-like setting, and, and we basically have the place till sunset. So it'll be a great time. Invite your friends and family. We'll have barbecue and, and to just have a great time. And if you're planning on being baptized, um, let me know. There's one person signed up so far, and I'm, I'm really looking forward. It's a person that I probably will not be able to get through the ceremony without crying because it's little Isabel is getting baptized, and she's done this whole packet of stuff, and it's just neat seeing God work in her life. And I will probably be a, a, a blubbering man up there trying to talk about her. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this, this great day. Um, so we're going to pray, and we'll get into the text. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for the story. Um, Lord, this is a, a simple story with a lot of principles that we can learn from. And so, Lord, as we look at this, the storm, this crazy demon-possessed man, the encounter that they had with Jesus, Lord, I pray that um, as we look at it, Lord, that you would help us to understand um, the story in context, that we would... Um, Lord, that we would have a greater understanding of what the disciples went through going on this journey, what this demon-possessed man went through. Father, we pray that you would help us uh, to learn lessons to our own life. Lord, we pray that um, whether we're here today and we don't know you as Savior, Lord, that you would, um, as we just sang, Lord, that you would um, unshackle us, Lord, that you would free us um, from the chains so that we can sing, I've been set free. Um, Lord, we thank you that you free us from the sin that we're so easily ensnared with. Um, Father, we pray that as we look at the story, Lord, uh, we would be able to go forth um, living our lives in a way that's pleasing to you. Father, we pray that um, as you've lit us as your lamp, Lord, to this world in darkness, we pray that uh, we would be used by you. Um, We love you, Lord. We praise you. And we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. Now, on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep and a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. They came to Jesus and woke him up saying, master, master, we are perishing. And he got up and he rebuked the wind and the surging waves and they stopped and it became calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Then they sailed to the country of Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. 
And when he came out onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons and who was who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in the house, but in the tombs. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, what business do you do we have with each other? Jesus, son of most high God, I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine. And he gave them permission, and the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. The people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it reported them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country of Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to leave them, for they were gripped with great fear. And he got in a boat and returned. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. But he sent him away saying, return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. And Father, we do thank you for this story. We ask now as we come to it, Lord, that your spirit would help the story to come alive, that we would understand it in context. Father, we pray that you would soften our hearts, Lord, to hear your voice behind the story. Uh, we love you, Father. We praise you. And we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. So this is really a simple story that you can kind of read it over. And there's not a whole much. It's not like an epistle, like the letters. It's like very clear. Do this. Don't do this. Be warned of this. This is a picture of a story that we have to kind of dig to gain some principles behind. And in the beginning verse here, verse 22, we read, Now on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, Let us go over to the other side of the lake, so that they so they launched out. And so can we have the next slide here? This is just or a slide that we're going to look at. It's the map. It's kind of blurry. I, I zoomed up on it. This is the Sea of Galilee, northern part of Israel. The Jordan runs north to south down into the Dead Sea. They don't know exactly where this story is happened precisely but we know they started up in this region this was the base of jesus's main ministry and they launched to the other side which was down to the south eastern edge of the shoreline and this region is the decapolis for us it just looks like oh they just crossed the lake no big deal Um, lakes i'm familiar with like lake tahoe you know one side is in california the other side's in nevada But crossing to the other side, it's the same culture. It's no big deal. But in this setting, the other side, the Decapolis region, this was a a Gentile region. This was that they were not Jewish people. It was a harsh climate. They were not they wasn't well received. Um, The Jewish people, it was not welcomed. 
And today it's very similar in Israel. You go there, there's Jewish places and there's Palestinian places. And the Jewish, those of Jewish faith don't do well in the Palestinian areas. It'd be like today a Jewish person going on vacation to Iran. It's not something that would be pleasant. For us, we have Mexico to the south. Mexico is a friendly country. I enjoy going to Mexico. I love the food. I love the culture. But imagine if it was like Iran or Afghanistan or something where the whole world view is different. Their religion went against what we said. So, so to go over there would be a terribly frightening thing. And so when they said, let's go over to the other side. The disciples follow Jesus. But this isn't just like going to another fishing town and their, their culture. This was going over to another place where there was other gods and people that didn't know the God that they loved and served and worshipped. It was a scary, intimidating thing. I know in these situations, there's normally great fear. When I look at my life, when I've seen God stretch me, anytime God's called me to do something, it comes with a little bit of fear and anxiety. Whether it was going to a midweek Bible study for the first time, I literally would drive up to the house, pull away, get partway away, and get convicted like, no, you need to go to Bible study. This cycle happened a bunch of times. That was the Bible study where I met Anna. But it was like going to this Bible study. It was like the most horrifying experience of this tug of war in my heart. Would I do it or would I not do it? Teaching a Bible study for the first time in an elderly person's home, the Shangri-La, did not want to do it. It was horrifying. I'm like, what am I supposed to do teaching a Bible study where there's elderly people? And then to pull up finally after much resistance in my heart to see that maureen 97 year old woman in her walker saying she's been praying for somebody to teach a bible study for the last three years there's all kinds of stuff but when you start to step out there's like there's just a sort of anxiety i'll never forget last year richard and i you know when we were going to mongolia there was a lot of sleepless nights on my part and then when we flew from here to san francisco suddenly when we were in san francisco we're like we're just going to start doing laps in the international terminal. So we were like on our own pace. We, we kind of ditched each other. But I think we were each kind of having our like our time with Jesus. Like <laughs> this is like for real. Like the next stop is in Beijing, China. And I watched a whole lot of 24 with Jack Bauer. China is not a good place for me in my mind. You know, I'm like, oh, they're going to get me. I'm going to be held hostage. I'm going to, you know, but this this feeling of like, man, I just want to quit. But we're embarking in something so significant that I just didn't, like, I just was scared. And to get there to see the Mannings, to say, oh, this is like, we needed you guys so desperately to come. And so here are the disciples, they're in the boat. I think they're going through some of this. But it doesn't, this is, you know, that doesn't really express this. It just says the other side. And so they launched out. Verse 23, as they were sailing along, he, that's Jesus, fell asleep in a fierce Gale of wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. See, I love this. This is, I remember a couple of times on the flight, you get a little bit of turbulence. You're like, oh, no, this is it. This is how I'm going to meet Jesus. This is it. It's over. <laughs> Step out to go to Mongolia. Man, what was I thinking? How did I get myself into this one? But I was in not, I was not in any sort of real danger. Like, planes can bounce all over the place before they go down. Like, they can take a lot. I was just, it was perceived danger, not real danger. Here, they are in a small boat, and a major, major storm is coming through, and they were in danger. They were about to go under. And this 
feeling like, oh, great, we stepped out to go to the bad guy's land, and now, now here we are, we're facing serious trouble. And Jesus is asleep, so we got to wake him up. Verse 24, they came to Jesus, they woke him up saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Like they, they were going under. In a big storm, when you capsize, like it's easy to get lost really fast. They think they're, oh, they're done. Jesus, wake up. Jesus wakes up. And he rebukes the wind and the serving wave. Like, what do you say? Bad waves, bad wind. I don't know what he said, but he said, but he just rebuked him. What are you doing? Stop it. Stop. And here are the guys. Like, he said to them, where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, who then is this? That he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. See, this is hilarious. The disciples have been following him for a long time at this point. They've seen Jesus raise people from the dead. Remember the, the, the widow, her only son died. He's at the gate. He raised him. He healed all kinds of sicknesses. He's done the miraculous. And yet they're still amazed at his works. You know, we say to ourselves, oh, God, if you'd only do this in my faith, I would never stumble again. That's not true. We are of little faith. And they're questioning, who is this? And see, I love verse 26. Maybe it's just because of my, my feeble stuff, my feeble little personality, my, my weak faith. It says, then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. See, I like going to Mexico. I, I enjoy getting my street tacos. I, I really, when I'm down there, I like serving people and like building a house to be there. There's something just humbling to be in this culture where people have nothing and you build like a, a, a 10 by 16 four walls with a roof on nothing. And to see the, how much they appreciate and how much you've done for them, like I, it's just overwhelming. But every trip to Mexico, it almost, for me, it's like almost a, a faith testing. There's a little bit of rain. Ooh, I see clouds. Can we cancel? Yes, we can cancel. And it doesn't look like I'm a chicken, but I get out of it. We finally got the gifts to Mexico, to get the Gabriel house. Just last week, I got an email. So <laughs> they're like Christmas in June. Nothing like it. We got it down there. But to me, it's like there's any sort of little hiccup. And if I was the, the, the disciples and this big storm set out in the middle of the lake, he comes to and it's like, all right, we can abort this mission. Let's head back, Jesus. Let's head back. And it says, then they sailed on. Like, it's like, nope, this isn't stopping him. We got to keep going forward. And being in God's will doesn't always equate to the easier path. And so they sail onto the, the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And this is where the story really gets crazy. Before I read the story in Luke, I want us to flip back a, to a couple books to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. <clears throat> Last service, I didn't cover this section, but I said something, and Luke doesn't cover this detail. And I thought, oh man, I got to really, we got to get it in three dimensional for us. And so this, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, this is that same story from Mark's perspective. And he writes, um, They came to the other side of the sea into the country of Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, that's Jesus, immediately a man from the tombs 
with an unclean spirit met him, and and he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him any anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken into pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gnashing and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed before him. Now we can go back to the story. This is kind of a graphic picture of this guy. That he's up in the hill. See, we don't think cemetery like, you know, which I'm a proud member of the board of directors for the Valley Center Cemetery District. We try very hard to keep the grass nice and green, to keep all of the tombs well manicured. Not the tombs, the, the stones well manicured. Um, we respect the flowers that family members leave. Everything's in a nice orderly row, well marked. Not these days. This would be like a cliff with caves in the cliff and the bodies were in the caves. And it was just sort of a, however you could fit them in, fit them in sort of deal. But it was viewed just the same. I don't know very many people that think, hey, it's Friday night. Let's get our, let's get our sleeping bag and let's go camp out in the graveyard. No, because we're afraid of that sort of thing. That's the last place. Yeah, we don't get s'mores and barbecue, like get our little thing on the grave, you know. Let's camp out. No, it's like the place of death and sort of eeriness and to think about what exists there. Well, this is how it was viewed in their culture. And this guy was crazy. He wasn't in his right mind. I say that because we see that he's going to end. The story ends with him being in his right mind. But as they stepped out on the shore, see, in a little boat, as you come to shore, the first two guys always have to get out. They get their feet wet, and then they have to drag the boat up onto shore. And then the other guys run out on the bow so they don't have to get their feet wet, and then they go up. As this is all going down, this guy was up on the hill watching them paddle across the lake, get there. And as they touch, he like beelines straight for them. And as they see him working through our story here, and let me find my place, um, verse 27. So when he came out onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons. Now, I don't know at the time they were able to identify that this man was demon possessed. I think they identified him. This is a crazy guy. It said he would not put on any clothing for a long time, which means this guy was naked with no tan lines. He, he's just out with no clothes on. If you just stop the story right there, like naked guy running at you, that's not like we were on a ride along. I was on a ride along about a year ago. The story never like it still strikes me and you'll figure out why. So we were all listening to the radio, and this thing was like going over, like the intensity. I'm like, ooh, this could be a good one. And then we hear taser out on standby, taser deployed. And we're like, ooh, let's get over there. And it's like the guy I'm with is like, this is not my segment, but we'll get over there real quick. So we got over there. There's like everybody is there, every fi- like fireman, every cop. And we're kind of walking into the, like the apartment building, and the, the other like firefighters are kind of smiling at us. We're like, what's going on? It was like a 300 pound, seven foot man, naked and handcuffed 
And I was like, I'm so glad I was not on this one with this guy coming at you. <laughs> like, the, like <laughs> clothes are a good thing. And so they step foot. First thing, they're greeted by this naked guy charging them. Like this wouldn't like, okay, Jesus, can we turn back now? This is not good place for us to be. But then we learn more about him. So he's naked. Okay, so he's naked. One thing coming out towards him, sprinting. Um, he was not living in the house, but in the tombs. It's like this guy doesn't have, you know, can I see your identification, sir? <laughs> well, I don't have any. Where would I carry identification? I don't have anything. I'm the crazy guy. I live up in the tombs. Like he's camping out at the edge of town. It goes on to say, we're going to skip down past verse 28 into verse 29 to get more of the picture. Um, midway through, it said, for it seized him, referring to the spirit many times. And he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard. And yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon out into the desert. In Mark, we see that they tried multiple times to handcuff him to, 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 for his safety. The to, to, to drug him, to do whatever, but he was breaking his chains off. He's picking up sharp rocks, cutting himself. The guy was a mess. And we think, oh, we don't have these people anymore. I'd encourage you to do a ride-along with the Escondido Police Department or any major city, and you're going to learn a, a penal code, or I think it's a penal code. You'll learn the term 5150. <laughs> so the people who... This is a 5150. A 5150 is a person who is crazy. Like we don't, like most times it's just, okay, they're, they're, they've lost their mind. They're a danger to themselves. They've stopped their medication because all we can do is get, put them on medication or lock them up so they don't hurt themselves or other people. But every now and again, you just can't do this. Like, and if you, in any city, if you really are looking at the people, there are people who are the, they're just not there. Dave laughs because every time we go to coffee, there's our friend that just walks up and I like get all like ready to like protect Dave. And he's like, dude, is he there? Like Dave knows his name. I don't know his name. He talked to him once and I, but it's, but I get guarded. Like there's just like a look of like, they're not there. And there's something. Now I'm not saying that all of them are demon possessed, but certainly there are cases where there is a spiritual element happening. And this guy runs in at 51. Like this is dealing with these 5150s. Like all you can do is subdue them for their safety. Just Wednesday night there was one guy was like penciled to his neck. And we're like, you know, intervened. And then they don't take him to jail. They take him to the hospital. Last service is where all our nurses are. And they're like, we know 5150s because you've got to help them. And see, I love that Jesus is all about not only the healthy, but the sick. And Jesus intervenes here, and Jesus is all about helping these people. And we as a church should be as well. And there are some groups that go out and do stuff, like not to name, like, there's one organization in Escondido that does a lot of good work that they've asked us to partner with them, but I just can't, like, interfaith. They do a lot of good work dealing with, like, people like this guy. They say, well, we would like your money. And I'm like, okay, well, interfaith, does that mean like we're free to like express? Like, no, 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 we can't. We can't. Um, I'm like, well, then where's your like source of truth? Like, is Jesus allowed to be taught and then it, to help people be broken free? No, that would be not allowed. 
And I'm like, well, I'm sorry, we can't, like, we as a church can't partner with you because we, we have theological, like, boundaries that we have to kind of stick by. Like, I appreciate you guys are doing good work, but ultimately you're just kind of reducing, like, like harnessing the problem for a season. And so here's this guy. He comes running out, scarred up. I imagine shackles dangling off of him, possibly. Straight at the feet of Jesus, and he falls down. And in verse 28, we see when he sees Jesus, he cries out and falls before him and said in a loud voice, what business do we have with each other? Jesus, son of the most high God, I beg you, do not torment me. This guy was on a cliff, saw the disciples coming, runs down to the feet of Jesus, knows exactly who Jesus is. Notice his comment about Jesus in contrast with the disciples. The disciples say, who is this guy? And the demons know clearly who he is. James 2.19 says that the demons profess the same thing that we do, and they shudder. For they realize that it's game over. There's There's no authority over Jesus. And I don't want to go into a big thing. Like we could take a whole tangent on spiritual warfare. And, and you know, I don't want everybody like look into your neighbor and searching for demons on them. And I don't want us going to wherever we go and afraid that there's just demons everywhere. The Bible makes it clear that it's greater than is he that is in you than is in the world. Like we have no fear as Christians over the demonic world. But I do think we need to like be aware of it. I think there's two extremes. Satan uses two things. One, he gets, convinces us that he doesn't exist. And the other extreme, that he convinces us that he's in everything. He's not. And I love that as this guy comes up and the, the demons are like imploring Jesus, don't, don't, we don't want, we know the time's coming where it's going to be game over for us, but we don't want it to be now. And verse 29, he says, for he commanded the unclean spirits to come out of the man for it had seized him many times. And he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and yet he would break the bonds and be driven out by the, driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, <clears throat> what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. So they're like reasoning with you, please, just not now. We know that one day it's over, but please, let us keep going. Let us keep doing business in this town. Whatever you do, don't send us into the abyss. See, we see lakes, bodies of water, and we, I mean, I associate with like water skiing, jet skiing, barbecuing, hanging out by the shore. It's a, I mean, I love the water, being on top of it, under it, you name it, I like the water. As long as I'm not working, but it's like feels like work these days, so my wife's like, yeah, he doesn't really like going to the beach that much. But I do, like in my heart, I do. The Navy just kind of ruined me. But for them, the water symbolized death, darkness. Remember, Jesus said, if you stumble on these little ones, it'd be like having a millstone, a 2,000-pound rock around your neck and being cast into the abyss. So they're saying, just don't cast us into the lake. And then we see verse 32. Now, there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine. Now, there's all kinds of questions about this. None, None have answers. But they say, how about those pigs over there? Can we go to those pigs? We don't want to go to the abyss, but the pigs are cool. And he gave them permission. They could only do what Jesus authorized them to do. And so Jesus gives the demons to leave the one man for the many swine. They go into the swine. 
the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and it was drowned. Now, I don't know the situation here. This crazy guy comes running up. I'm just trying to imagine myself as one of the disciples. Crazy man comes running down. See, because movies like Poltergeist, Ghostbusters, like all of these movies, this is like my, you know, my baseline for understanding the demonic world, you know, so probably so far from the truth, but, you know, growing up in the 80s, you got to get distorted with certain things. And, and so I don't know if the guy's like got a deep gargling voice, like, hey, can you send me into the swine? I imagine none of like the guy just was talking. And then when the the demons left him, like I don't think there was like a big cloud of smoke or anything that you could see them like all flying around into the swine. But who knows? I don't know. But I'm I'm like not that type, so I'm just assuming that all of a sudden the guy goes from being normal to the pigs like start, like somebody spooked them and they ran off the cliff and into the water and they all died. And I just imagine these poor disciples going, what in the world just happened? Like this crazy guy, like was that really demonic stuff? And did Jesus just like give them permission and it just, you know, why they're trying to like sort through their thoughts. The herdsmen take off running because they can't believe what they've just seen. Like basically if you're a herdsman and your whole herd just dies, you're just out of a job. Like, so they don't need to stay there anymore. And so verse 34, when the herdsmen saw what happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. The people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. So they run out to the city, to all of the surrounding towns. They relay what they said, like what they saw. Everybody knew this guy. And if you live in a city in a neighborhood and you start looking, you'll know who your people with like the mental disorders like there are. Like I know a couple in Escondido. I go when I go visit La Mesa, my old stomping. There's the one guy with the gray hair, the blue blazer, and he carries around a suitcase everywhere he goes. Two suitcases. He's nonstop going on the bus. There's another guy like I know that they just know them. They're always there. And as long as they're, they, most of them, yeah, they're, they're harmless as long as they're not doing such and such. And if they start getting out of line, then they call the police. Police gets a call. We have the 5150 acting up. Everybody knows who this guy was. They see all of their pigs run off the cliff and die. And now here's their guy suddenly clothed in his right mind. Like, what's he, like, is he having a conversation with the disciples? Like something happened, he was able to do something that showed that he was no longer this crazy demon-possessed man. Like it was obvious. They go there, they come, all of the crowds start coming and seeing this guy. And their reaction is fear. It says, and they became frightened. To those who had seen it, reported it to to them, how the man was demon-possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country of the garrisons and the surrounding district asked him to leave them, for they were gripped with great fear. So the first wave of people come. They see this guy is no longer crazy. He's in his right mind. He's communicating. They run off to tell more people. More people come. Everybody sees that this man has healed, has been set free. Their reaction is fear. 
Well, like all the t- all through the scripture, when people see Jesus move, the reaction is fear. And why is that? Because that's healthy when you recognize God. And you see that God is acting in the extraordinary, that he's not doing the common. And you see somebody who's totally possessed. His life was, there's no hope for him. Everything they try to do, they have, were, they failed at. Jesus tells the demons to leave. And now the guy's totally 100% cured. And you would think they'd say, praise the Lord, Jesus, come. We want to know all about you. Come talk to our family. Come to like all of our stuff. We want to hear more. And see, this is significant. This is right after the story. Remember, last week we covered the parable of the sower where he sowed the seed. The seed was good, and we learned about all the different types of hard soil. There was only one good soil. Then from there, as the seed went out, then we talked about then who, who lights a lamp and then puts it under their bed or, or hides it in a closet. Then as he's telling this parable, Jesus' mother and brothers come to him. And they say, hey, your mom and brothers are trying to get to you through the crowd. And he says, who are my mother and brothers but those that hear the word of God and do it? And then this story ties in. This is a picture of Jesus going beyond the, the, the Israelites into this, this, this secular Gentile region. And he's lighting his lamp of this man, this demon-possessed man, for the whole world to see. It was People are struck with fear. They recognize that God was in their midst and God had transformed a life. And when I first became a Christian and I started like trying to live my life, it always cracked me up how, how much animosity and resistance came from my buddies in the SEAL teams. Like Wednesday night, we, I pretty much hung out my life, you know, like I was a mess. I was like consumed with booze and getting in trouble and like all sorts of stuff. And then after being in the teams and I stopped drinking and I started living, people would say, oh man, it's like, you know, a gunner's on the wagon. And instead of like supporting me, they like wanted nothing more than to get me drinking again and to continuing in the lifestyle. There's resistance when God moves and, and see the whole light picture. See in Ephesians, we talk about... We're light in the world. We expose the darkness. And see, you don't even have to worry about other people. Just if you live for your life and for God and you let his story come through you. It's like when there's a bunch of cockroaches and you flip on the, they scatter. That's why I go into places and I, it drives me. It's like they, I come around and I, oh, sorry for swearing. I didn't mean to offend you. I'm like, you're not offending me. I've heard plenty of bad language in my life. I'm like, it's not me that's you're, that, that, that you're convicted. It's God that's like, it's your heart before the Lord. But see, when there's light there, people don't like it. And these people tell Jesus, hey, get out of here. We've had enough of you. Leave. And as Jesus is getting on the boat and he's leaving, I love verse 38 and 39. This man, the ex-demon-possessed man who is now in his right mind, from whom the demons had got out, was begging him, that's Jesus, that he might accompany him. This guy sees that Jesus is leaving. All of his friends, family, fellow countrymen that just kicked out Jesus, and now Jesus is leaving. He runs up to Jesus. He's on his feet again, begging him, please take me with you, take me with you, take me with you. Don't leave me here. I so resonate with this guy. 
like my last five years, like I, well, I became a Christian in like 1996. I left the Navy in 2005. Throughout that, the, that nine, almost 10 years, well, probably the first five years, it was like, oh, Lord, just get me out of here. I'm sick of this. I'm done being in the military. I'm done being here. I want to go out. Just, I want to go into a Christian bubble. I want to go. My goal was to become a, I go to Christian college, get my certified to be a teacher. Like I wanted to go to Christian college, then I wanted to become a teacher at a Christian school and be in a little Christian bubble so I didn't have to deal with the world. And through that five years, I felt like Jesus' response to this guy, he basically tells the guy, no, well, he doesn't basically, he tells the guy, no, go back to your countryside. And I felt like Jesus, like over and over, was working me, no, stay. You're not leaving the teams. And I remember that Anna and I, we had like a bunch of like heated, not heated, but it was like we were not married at that point. But we were heading that sort of direction. And I'm like, like struggling with what does God want me to do? And he was really breaking me. This is on my last deployment in 2001. I'd started Moody Bible Institute doing correspondence courses. And I remember kind of resigning myself to the fact like, okay, Lord, like, if you want me to go to Bible college and seminary and then stay in the SEAL teams as, like, an indigenous missionary, I'm willing to do that. And Anna was like, I, like, this was like, I don't know that I'm, like, re- like want to do the whole, like, military wife thing. And it was like, maybe God's not calling us together. And this was like, uh-oh. But I, was, I remember we kind of, like, had a little breakup. You know, there's like, a little, like, you know, like, wrestling through this. And then as soon as I said, okay, Lord, like, even if you want me to go through all of this and stay in the teams, I'm willing to do it. It was like at that minute when I finally said, okay, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. He's like, okay, I I want you to leave the teams. It's like, why did you? Okay. Like, you just want me to be willing. And as I look at this story, see, there's two different groups. There's the disciples and then there's this demon-possessed man. And God's working very differently. They're all lamps for him to be used. But they each have their own story. And God's not into like the whole cookie cutter approach. Like, oh, we all, like if you're a Christian, you all look like this and you all do this. You want to serve the Lord? Then go to a seminary, Bible college, leave the secular work and go into the vocational ministry. Like in the last five or six years, however long I've been out of the Navy, like the thing I often say that I, I feel like I... Like coming to becoming a pastor has taught me how to be a Christian. And now I think, oh man, I just like want to get like a job in the secular place because that's like the most strategic place for a Christian to be. In my opinion, now God's called me here and I'm not here. I'm not in ministry because I'm a pastor. I'm in ministry because I'm a Christian. And this is just a place where God's called me. And to the mission, to the, to the disciples, they were fishing. They were tax collectors. He said, come follow me. To this guy, he goes there and he reaches him. He says, boat's full, buddy. Stay here. God had called him to do something different. And see, I don't know what God's calling each of you to do. Like, this is hard because I don't have the text. I have a bunch of principles that I kind of see here. And so what I learned from this is God cares about the individual, and he's got you on a plan for something in your life. I don't know what it is. He might be calling you to go somewhere across the lines, like somewhere that we think is dangerous. He might be calling you to be right here in Valley Center. 
He might, whatever it is. The key is you want to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Like, I'm a lamp for you. I want the soil of your word to go into my heart. I want to respond. And for me, one of the greatest like per- people of discipleship in my life was that during this time that I was wrestling, man, I had like I wanted to figure out where the end of my life was going to be, and I wanted five-year increments all the way back. And my friend Larry sat me down. He's like, brother, he turned me to Psalm 119, which we can turn there. See if I still remember it. Psalm 19 happens to be like the longest of all the Psalms. Verse 105. And I have it highlighted. And next to it I've written, not a fog light with a smiley face. This was one of the hugest lessons in following after Jesus that I ever learned. And it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I had to write on the side of that in bold letters, not a fog lamp with a smiley face. See, I thought, oh, if I just take, you know, the word of God going into the soil of my heart. Well, if I just read the Bible, pray over it, then I'll have this like, man, I'll have a fog light in front of me that I can see 30 years to know exactly what I have to do. But it's a little light. I just need to know what does God want me to do this afternoon? What does God want me to do tomorrow? And be faithful with that. And as I go forward, then he reveals more. And it looks different in everybody's life. This is a problem when I just talk out of my heart. I feel like I... Um, and the last verse here. So he sends this guy back to his people. And as I, as I look at my own life, some of the mistakes I think I made, even as a Christian... There's a statistic, I I don't know where it comes from, so it might not even be true, but I've heard it said in a lot of circles that from when a person comes to meet Christ, when they become a Christian, within two years, they've lost all touch with all non-Christian relationships. And I think that's, I totally understand that in my own life because I, when I met Jesus All I wanted to do was to like break free of that life I was in. And I so failed and failed and failed. You know, Jesus let the light in my life, but I was like one of those magic little birthday cake candles that never goes out. And I throw water on myself and then he'd bring me back to life. And, and so, so there was a season where I needed to withdraw so that I could, so I could grow in my walk with him. But then after a few years, well, then I didn't struggle in these same areas. And I was able to go back and to minister in places and environments that i could not in years past like 10 years ago i don't know that i could have done like police chaplaincy because i would have stumbled into like old lifestyles um okay see no notes here i'm in trouble here i'm like uh, okay the message Last last service, I like wait. I'm like way early, so like I'm thinking in my mind right now. I can talk for 20 minutes, no problem. Do I keep talking? And Rick pointed behind me. He's like, "Dude, you got communion." So I'm like, "Okay, well, I'll move on." <laughs> but look at what the guy look what look what Jesus said to this man. He says, "Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you." So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Going through the whole Christian circle and learning like evangelism. Well, how's evangelism look? Well, evangelism, when I learned about evangelism, this is what evangelism was. You learned the Romans road. 
Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you get that? So if you're not a Christian, we all have fallen short. And, it, and there's nothing wrong with this. And then Romans 6.23 is, for the wages of sin is death. And I think there's more, but I, that's the first part. Then you go to Romans 5.8. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Then Romans 10.9. But if you confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. And so my understanding was evangelism is, see, you got, see, I got that memorized, and you guys know how bad at memorization I am. But so then my goal was to go wherever, given the right situation, get through my spiel of those four points, and then force a person to respond to yes. And if I didn't do it, I was a failure if they didn't respond. Like I felt like a salesman, and I'm totally not a salesman. There are some people I know that have the ability, you know, that saying to sell ice to an Eskimo. That's not me. I can't sell ice in Phoenix on a summer day. Like, I am not a good salesman. And so for me, evangelism was about, like, you have this product and you've got to win people over. And and we are to proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Like, there's no question about that, that that's our message. But I think that there's something powerful. See, Jesus said, you go and you tell them what God's done in your life. And see, I think evangelism is more about, man, God has done a work in my life. I have this relationship with him. He, oh, I was blind, but now I can see. And you know what? I know he loves you too. And as, as people see lives that are changed, it's, it has an amazing like, power and effect in people's lives. Like Peter says, you know, live, be ready in season and out to give, a, to give an answer for the question that people ask of you. And I guarantee you, if we're in the word, if we're praying, if we're responding to God's lead in our life, that have a tremendous influence around all of the people. But then we have to be able to teach good theology. I'm not saying that there's not a place. In fact, yesterday, been kind of set, like yesterday was the eight-year anniversary of my dear friend Tom Retzer, who was shot in the head and killed in Afghanistan eight years ago. And it was sad to lose him, sad seeing his wife, his boys go on life without him. But it was about, it was eight years ago that he died. It was about 10 years ago that we were standing in the SEAL Team 3 weight room. He was using the weights. I was just hanging out. <laughs> and we were kind of sharing. It was just the two of us. I just kind of become a Christian a few years. I mean, it had been four years, but I was still like a baby Christian at this point. And... He was sharing how he was going on to SEAL Team 6 in a dev group and how cool it was. And, and I was like, man, just overwhelmed with like feeling like God was saying, just share about your faith. Just like all I heard was like, in, just share about your faith. Just share what happened to you. Share what happened to you. I'm like, God, you don't know who you're talking about. I can't tell him I became a Christian. He's going to think I'm a freak. I'm not going to say anything. That was the last time I saw Tommy. Before I got the news that he was killed. And it like, I always wondered, man, Lord, was I supposed to like just share what I did? Like I read the story. All I need to say is, man, dude, I became like, you know me more than anybody else in the world. I became a Christian. Life's different now. And I love that that's what God, God just wants us to sow seed. Yeah, there's hard soil, but God's doing the cultivating the soil. All we're to do is to sow the seed and to be a light for him. And so as we come to communion today, tying this all with communion,
looking at this message. And on a little historical note, if you like this town, which before the demon possessed man, there was no known Christians. There was no evidence of anybody responding to Jesus before this guy. The end of Matthew, when they passed through there, a bunch of people met him. There was a lot of believers. Every like according like the Ray Vanderland studies that we've been doing on Wednesday nights, one of the earlier ones. Like church history shows in the region of the Decapolis that for every major church council in history, there was always a representative from Decapolis, this region where this man came from, to show the power of one man's life walking obediently to God. And so when we come to communion and looking at this, see communion, we got crackers and we got juice up here. To different faith traditions, it means different things. But to us, it's a memorial. We remember, we reflect about what Jesus did on the cross. The longer that we are Christian, or for me at least, the further I get away from my past, the easier it is to kind of kind of change the story of history to kind of say, well, look at me. Like, I've, man, it's been like I'm a senior pastor of a church. I've been to Bible college. I like teach the Bible. I'm a pretty good guy. Pulled myself up by the bootstraps. Made something of my life. And then Unshackled makes a little like radio program of my life. And we air it for the whole church. Like on Wednesday night, listening to that, it's like what it does is it like do anything of who I am as like a good Christian guy is not because of me. I mean, there's multiple like they left out all kind of like incidences with the cops, police running stuff. This is it. Make the cut. They only had room for two, I guess. But like drunkenness, my life was totally out of control. And it was because Jesus came and he intervened in my life. He, he didn't give up on me, even though I ran from him. I tried to get away. And so I come to this cracker, and I'm reminded that this cracker, it's a symbol of Jesus' body that was broken on the cross. The Bible says that, he, that on the cross, he died for our sins, my sin, your sin, all of us. It's not about it being in a group that, oh, you stand before God when you die and you say, well, I went to Valley Baptist Church or I went to a really big mega church that the, the gospel was taught. It's no, what did you do with Jesus? And see, when I come to this cracker, it's to remind me that Jesus paid it all. All my sin was placed upon him. He paid it all in full, completely, totally. There's nothing that I could do to add to it or take from it. Then I come to the juice, the new covenant. And I have life in him. He conquered the grave. We have it when the minute you believe you have eternal life now, you don't have to wait till you die to get eternal life. If you're in Christ, you have eternal life. And then the other thing that, that communion that is often missed in churches. In First Corinthians chapter eleven, it says, For as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, we're reminded to go out there, there's a whole world, there's a whole realm of people that are trapped in the bondage of sin, demonic influences. God's saying, I've lit the lamp in my church. I want you to go out and to share the good news. I want you to share the good news. And so as we close, I'm going to pray. We're going to, Rick's going to sing a last song, The Old Rugged Cross. And I just, just take some time to examine your heart. Say, Lord, like, where am I missing the mark? If you've never trusted in Christ, if you're not, if you're not even sure if you're a Christian, it's as simple. You believe. You either believe or you reject. There's no, and in Ephesians chapter one says that after hearing the gospel that Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again on the third day. 
When, that's the gospel. And when you heard it and you believed, at that moment, you're sealed with the Spirit. You're saved till the day of redemption. I mean, for eternity, but to the day of redemption that you have the Spirit sealed upon you. And that as Christians, we break our fellowship with God through sin. That's 1 John 1, 9. And so as we come back to the cross to reflect on what Jesus did, before we take the elements, Lord, where am I missing the mark? Where is this fellowship breaking in my life with you? Are there areas that I need to confess? Are there areas that I need to surrender to you? And I'd ask you just, man, maybe you don't have any single Christian friend. Like you're raised in the church and not single Christian, non-Christian comes to mind. And if that's you, I would just pray to say, Lord, help me to make a friend with somebody that's not a Christian. And if you do have Christian friend, non-Christian friends, just pray, Lord, how can I be used by you? I heard once there was a missionary in Spain that came and spoke at my Bible college. That kind of helped shore up evangelism for me. She says, see, we don't go, we don't, we don't love on people to share the gospel. We share the gospel because we love people. And see, when you actually are out there in relationships with your family members and your friends that don't know Jesus, it like weighs on your heart. And then it causes you to pray for them more. Lord, give me opportunities. Lord, help me to have courage to share. When the opportunity presents itself, how can I share what you've done in my life? And so, Father, as we come before you, to take communion, we, Lord, we ask that you would shine uh, your spotlight on our hearts and our souls, Lord. Father, if there are people here who have never trusted upon you for salvation, Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, that you would help guide them, Lord, to where they could trust in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that getting into heaven, having eternal life, has nothing to do with our good works, for there is nothing that we can do. We thank you that Jesus on the cross, he paid it all completely, fully, that he was our substitute. Father, we bow down and we worship before you for your good. And Lord, as we take these elements, as we take this cracker and this juice, reflecting on what you've done for us, realizing our new life in Christ, that he conquered death, that we now have eternal life, that there's hope, Lord. Father, we pray that you would help us, Lord, um, to build relationships around our, around us, Lord, with uh, people that don't know you. Father, that it would be genuine relationships, that we would love those that don't love you or don't know you. Lord, help us to, um, to take advantage of the opportunities that you've given. Lord, help us not to be afraid of saying the right thing. We trust that the Spirit will guide us. And Lord, as I look at the story of the disciples and this demon-possessed man, and you're working their life so differently. Lord, we often struggle with knowing your will in our life, Lord, and we wrestle with things. And, and so, Lord, we pray. Lord, I just pray for anybody in this room who's, who's struggling, Lord, that they're at a crossroads and not sure um, whether to come or go, Lord, in their lives with a certain issue. Father, we pray that um, you would continue to give them peace, Lord, that you would guide them along the way. Um, Father, that they would... Um, be obedient to you in all things. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.